Holy Spirit enables you to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, your Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Today is Trinity Sunday, a day on which we look um, often at the Athanasian Creed and dive into trying to understand the Trinity. And after we read the Athanasian Creed last night at 6.30 and this morning at 8, I thought, okay, I get it. But then on another level, I don't get it. It's one of those things that makes sense, but doesn't make sense. It's bad math. One plus one plus one equals one. Okay? It kind of overloads our circuits as human beings. A God of immeasurable power and might that's beyond understanding, and yet at the same time, a God who is intensely personal and relational in Jesus Christ and draws close to you and to me. And so I think on this and on so many other things in life, we have doubts. To doubt is to be human. And I think we, especially as Lutherans, sometimes try and have it all locked down. To have all the right questions and all the right answers to all the right questions so that everything's figured out so there's no more questions and no more doubts. And yet, who could have seen this day 10 years ago? 10 years ago, as I was hearing on the radio, was when iPhone was first launched. And I remember hearing about the first smartphones and thinking, I'm never going to own one of those. <laughs> now we've all got one. And I don't know what I would do without it. Our world has changed. Our world continues to change. And I think that every time as a person, as I think I've got it figured out, as I've got it locked down, something new comes out. Something new that gives me reason to doubt, reason to question. I think that's in all of us. All of us face doubts. All of us have questions. I was talking to someone between services this morning. He's been a Christian much longer than I have, and he said to me, I think some days that I could make a great atheist. Do you have doubts too? And I said, yeah, I meant what I preached. We have doubts. Doubts that challenge us. Doubts that challenge our beliefs. But I think the even more challenging thing about doubt is that it's not just a head thing. I think it's also a heart thing, a thing that is felt. I found the seeds of this in a quote uh, from Simone Weil, spelled uh, last name W-E-I-L. It's a Jewish thing, so Weil. Makes perfect sense, right? She writes this. The love we feel for the splendor of the heavens, the plains, the sea, and the mountains, for the silence of nature which is borne upon us by its thousands of tiny sounds, for the breath of the winds or the warmth of the sun, this love of which every human being has at least an inkling is an incomplete, painful love 
because it's felt for things which we are incapable of responding. We face doubts. Those doubts are sometimes intellectual, but sometimes even more on a heart level, a felt level. And that leads us into our text, to our disciples. Our disciples who have been walking with the risen Jesus on and off for 50 days. I was drawn to the window of Jesus appearing to Mary at the tomb. And these disciples have seen the risen Jesus, seen the nail prints in his hands. They've sat down and had breakfast. They've talked. He's opened the scriptures to them. And if you were to think of the whole human history, you could say of these men, there have never been men in history that have walked more closely and personally with Jesus than these men. And yet, as Jesus speaks to them before ascending into heaven, these same men doubt. They doubt. What more could have Jesus given them? And we wonder as people, well, what did they doubt? Did they doubt who this Jesus was, that he was indeed the risen Jesus? Did they doubt what the kingdom of God was all about and where it was going? Or did they look at that small group of people gathered there as Jesus was ascending to heaven and doubt? Doubt their own capacity, their own capability to accomplish the mission that was before them. As they looked at Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and thought, if this is all that the Lord, the King of all creation, is able to gather together, how can we mere people do much better? And I think that's the point. I think that's the point both for them and for us. Because Jesus also gives the great promise. And though we know these words, I think there's something that are often overlooked in relation to the Great Commission. Jesus gives the disciples, even you and me, the Great Commission, and then he turns around and gives to us his great promise. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's the point. That's the point that we rely not on our own understanding, on our own abilities, on our own ability to lead the mission, but rather that we trust in Jesus. Jesus sends the disciples out in spite of their doubts, in spite of their questions. And I think the thing is that we as people don't want to need Jesus, that we would sometimes rather trust ourselves instead of him. And here Jesus invites us, challenges us to trust in him instead of ourselves. Because the truth is life is full of doubts. 
And so when I think of those doubts, there's really three things that we can do with those doubts. One, we can pretend like we've got it all together. Like we've got it all figured out, like everything is buttoned down and pinned up and that there's no more questions. We've got all the right answers. And I know that I, for one, am guilty of trying to do that from some time. And then the second thing that we can do is to try and work it out, try and figure it out, try and nail it all down and get in and dig in and say there's got to be answers because there's these questions and if God is a God of an order, then there's got to be all these answers to all this stuff that I'm wondering about that I'm trying to figure out. And so if I just work on it hard enough, I can get it all figured out. And yet that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't give his disciples peepers three volumes of systematics before he sent them out. Sent them out with his word. And the promise that he'd be with them. Inviting them. Inviting us to trust in him. And then the third thing that we can do is trust in him. Trust in a Father who loves us with an everlasting love. Trust in a Son, Jesus, who overwhelms us by His grace given for us and His blood shed for you and me. And trust in His Spirit. His Spirit that speaks to our hearts. His Spirit that brings words of Scripture to our minds and to our hearts just when we need them. And if I were to think of those three options, I know where I'd like to live. And that third one, and that third one of trusting the love of the Father, trusting the grace of the Son, and trusting in the power of the Spirit. Uh, knowing that when I move out, it's not about trying to gather all the right information and make the best guess possible, but rather I have something greater working in me. God's power and God's spirit. But I must confess that all too often I live in those first two. Is the same true for you as well? I live in those first two of trying to figure it all out or pretending like you've got it all together. I wonder why that is. I think for me, at least for me, I think it's because I want to be enough. I want to be enough. I don't want to come up short. I want to measure up. But here's the truth about doubt. If you're someone facing the world and you say that you've got no doubts, no questions, then the world looks at us and says, well, I can't relate because my life is full of doubts and questions. Doubts about things that are going on in my family. Doubts about where our world is headed with terrorism and all the crazy stuff that always seems to be going on in government. My life is full of doubts, both on the micro level of my personal life and on the macro level of this whole world. 
and what's going on. And yet in spite of those doubts, in spite of those questions, God sends the disciples. God sends you and me. I had just kind of come to the conclusion that I needed to spend more time out in the mission field. Um, I had resolved myself that, that once a week I was going to go and work at Starbucks. Just so I'd be out in the community and have the opportunity to interact with, with different people. And Lindsay and I, we started talking about how we needed to be more social and more connected. And so we got this great plan together. We're going to clean up the garage. And I had this plan of brewing beer like once a month and getting seen by the neighbors and just hanging out and being available to talk. And the, the garage was going to be this sweet place where people could just kind of come and hang. And it was going to be awesome. We had it all figured out. And then the house flooded. And the washer and the dryer got moved into the garage, as, long as, as well as boxes of chemicals and this uh, PVC pipe that's now hanging from the ceiling with a series of clothes on it. And God sent me to different people. God has sent me to nurses and doctors at Chalk. God has sent me to contractors water mitigation specialists, and insurance people. God's reminded me not to be a jerk on the phone because, by the way, when they call and get my voicemail, they hear that I'm a pastor. So better be nice, Nathan. God sends us on mission. In spite of our doubts. Maybe even because of our doubts. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that questioning that's still in our heart? Our answer comes in one of our readings that we didn't read this morning. A reading from Genesis where the whole story is drawn together. Why is it that nature is so moving to us? It's because we hear music. We hear music in the babbling of the brook, in the rush of the wind. We hear music in the warm sunshine and the birds singing. We hear music in the beauty that we behold. And in Genesis 1, we find the answer. God delights in his creation. And that beauty that we see in nature is nature singing. Nature singing the song of creation, singing, My maker loves me. My creator looks at me and says that I am good. My maker delights in me and enjoys in me because as God looked down on his beautiful creation, he says, It is good. When he finished it all, he said, it is very good. And so creation, resting under the benediction of God, sings its praises. And that's why it pains our heart. It's a song that we too want to sing, but that we struggle to sing. sometimes we don't want to sing because we don't want to come underneath that king. 
because of the sinfulness and the brokenness that is in each one of us. And yet in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Father, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. As St. Peter spoke in that marvelous sermon on Pentecost Day. And in Jesus, God has placed his benediction, his blessing on us, on you and on me. And here, here in these words of the Great Commission, God invites us to join the song. To join God in doing what he is doing in creation, to join the Father in his recreative work through the power of the redemption that is found in Jesus, with the power of the Spirit that God breathes on you and me. In Jesus Christ, God looks down at us and says, I love you. You are good. I delight in you. I enjoy you. I invite you to join the song. To join the song that all of creation is singing, bearing witness to me, your loving Father, your gracious Savior Jesus, and the Spirit that lives in us in power. Amen.